We've been working our way through Genesis, looking at stories of families, comparing them to the story of our families, and seeing what we can learn. If you were in Bible class today, you should have talked about the story of Jacob and Esau, about how, well, that whole story of them uh, being born and their life growing up together and the difficulties that they had. We're going to skip over that since you should have discussed it. We'll kind of summarize it here in a moment. But we're skipping to the end of that and to the time when Jacob is coming back home. He had been gone for 20 years. He had married. He had 12 children. And he's coming back to meet Esau, not knowing what kind of reception he might get. So we're in chapter 33 today. Let's be standing, please. This is the Word of God in our lives. May God bless our hearing of His Word. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming. And 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him. And fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah, likewise, and her children drew near and bowed down. And finally, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor with my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. May God bless his word in our lives. We remember the brothers as Jacob and Esau. But if things had gone like they were supposed to go, if things had gone like tradition said they should go, today instead of talking about Jacob and Esau, we would be talking about Esau and Jacob. Esau was the older. By all rights, he should have been the one who became the dominant person in the family. He should have become the one who inherited everything. And Isaac, his dad, was a very wealthy man. So it was a significant thing. And the way Esau and Jacob became Jacob and Esau, uh, that's the story, isn't it? That's the part that really holds our interest. Most of us know that story. As we said, you probably talked about it if you came to Bible class today. But Jacob and Esau were twin sons born to Isaac and Rebekah. And even when before they were born, when they were still in the womb, they were already at it with each other, weren't they? Fighting like brothers. And to the point that Rebecca said, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, if this is the way they act now, what's it going to be like whenever they are born? Well, Esau won the battle to be born first. And therefore, he thought he had won the war, maybe, but not quite so fast. 
So I grew up in somewhat of a dysfunctional family. Dad obviously liked Esau best. Dad loved Esau. Esau was a manly man. I always get a little tickled when I read the description of Isaac smelling of him and liking that he smells like a field. (laughs) I raised three boys. Sometimes boys smell like fields. Esau was a hunter. Esau was the starting middle linebacker on the high school football team. Dad was proud of Esau. He let him know that he was his favorite son. Rebecca, on the other hand, loved Jacob. Jacob was a quiet man. Jacob liked to hang around the house. Jacob liked to do the work that normally women did. But Rebecca also knew that God had said to her that it would be her younger son who would become the one who was great. And so Rebecca obviously favored Jacob. Scripture says she loved him. We know how the story continues, how eventually Esau traded his birthright to Jacob, or basically we could say he was almost tricked out of his birthright to his younger brother, Jacob. He traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. You know, now Esau may have been a manly man, but he was not the brightest bulb in the chandelier, huh? Yeah, I'll trade you millions and millions of dollars for this bowl of soup. Now, to his credit, he thought he was going to die. He had been out hunting. He needed something to eat. Or as we talked about in class, maybe he thought, I can handle that guy when it comes time. You know, (laughs) this guy thinks he's going to take my birthright from me. But for whatever reason, Esau lost his birthright. And then when it came time for Isaac to bless his son Esau... Then Rebecca gets into the picture as well, doesn't she? And she and Jacob conspire together, and they trick the blind Isaac into blessing Jacob. So there you have it. Jacob, who was supposed to be the second son, had become really the first son. And everything that was supposed to belong to Esau now belonged to Jacob. Now you tell me, if anyone ever had the right... If anyone was ever justified in being angry with another person, wouldn't you say that Esau had the right to be angry with his brother Jacob? If anyone ever has the right to hate another person, wouldn't you say that Esau had the right to hate Jacob? And he did. He hated him so much that he threatened to kill him. And Rebecca, the mother, believed it. And she knew that if Esau killed Jacob, she would lose both of her sons. And therefore she sent, along with the blessing of Isaac, Jacob away to find a wife, back to where her mom and dad had lived, back to where she had grown up, to find a proper wife there and to live until hopefully someday Esau would cool down. So Jacob moves up there. He spends 20 years there. He does marry, ends up with four wives, 12 children. But then God finally says, okay, Jacob, it's time to go home and face your brother Esau. And that's the story we read. 
And you can imagine how Jacob would be just more than a little nervous to go and to face the man that he had basically cheated and built out of millions and millions of dollars worth. And as far as being the prime person and the leader of the family, he's going to go face him once again. He didn't know how he would respond. In fact, he starts sending messengers out to see if he can find where Esau is. And they find Esau and they come back and say, Esau knows you're coming and he's coming out with 400 men. Now, what do you think Jacob thinks about that? Here comes brother. He's got 400 men with him. What's he going to do? And in fact, the night before he knows he's finally going to face him, he can't even sleep that night. That's that marvelous story about Jacob staying up all night wrestling with God. I don't know if you've done that before or not, but many people have done that. They've stayed up all night wrestling with God and wrestling with themselves. And that's where Jacob was. But finally, he can't avoid it. The day comes. And then he sends out his wives, his children, but he runs ahead of them. And as he approaches Esau, he bows, he bows, he bows, he bows, he bows. Seven times to let Esau know, hey, I'm doing what I can. And finally, there he stands before Esau. Esau's the red one. That's what Esau means, isn't it? He's red and hairy. Okay. I made Jacob green. Uh, I I should have made him yellow, I know, but uh, I felt like that would be a little too judgmental. But we have Jacob before Esau not knowing what will happen next. And as we read in the text, Jacob, or Esau, reaches down and pulls Jacob up, embraces him, kisses him, and says something that is absolutely marvelous. This statement by Esau changes Jacob's life. And this statement by Esau can change our lives as well. Three little words that if we can learn to say these words will change everything about us. Esau said, do you remember? I have enough. Do you hear the release that comes in that? Jacob, I don't want what you have. I know that you stole what you have, much of it from me. The rest of it he stole from his father-in-law or took it from him. said, but you know what? I don't have to have what you have. I have enough. Now, that sets off a couple of things in my mind. I want to share them quickly with you. First of all, the blessing of having enough. Do you realize how that can change your life if you can basically say, I have enough? I want to give you a a little quiz here. Fill in the blank. Now, not out loud, just fill in the blank. When I have enough blank, then I'm going to be happy. What is it right now that's keeping you from really being satisfied with who you are and what's going on in your life? What is it that you keep looking forward to getting more of so that in the future, when you have enough of that, then you're going to be happy? Now, there's several things that can go in that blank. Money, you know, I'm working like crazy. I'm paying these bills. Someday I'm going to have enough money. And when I get enough money, I'm going to be happy. The only problem with money, especially, 
is that how much money do you need? There is an answer to that question. I know how much money I need. I can answer that. A little more. That's just the way it works, isn't it? I can remember when I first started working here. This was my first real job as the youth minister of this church. My first full-time post-college job. And I could tell you how much I made, and I wonder now how in the world did I ever get by on that. But I was pleased with it. But I kept looking forward to the day that I'd make a little more. Well, I make a little more now. Quite a bit more now. Guess how much money I need? A little more. It's always that way. And if I wait to be happy until I get enough, enough what? Love? People don't like me? Someday, if if I can just get everyone to like me, not just a few people, but everyone, you know, it only takes one person that doesn't like me to sort of pop my balloon. When I get enough love, then I will be happy. When I get enough time, I'll be happy. You know, I'm just so busy right now, and I'm too busy to even enjoy my... But someday, I'm going to have some time, and then I'm going to be happy. Do you see the blessing of enjoying the life you have right now by being able to say, right now in my life, I have enough. Instead of constantly being able to list the things that we don't have. The psalm that um, Wes read for us a moment ago is one of my very favorite psalms, Psalm 16. Every line in it is wonderful. But in particular, I've always been drawn to those lines. Did you hear them when he read? That the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. What David is saying there is, I have enough. And whenever I can say that in my heart, that I have enough of everything to enjoy my life today and to be happy today, then everything else in life changes for us. Now, there's another thing that that statement, I have enough, talks about, because it really talks about forgiveness. Although in this story, the word forgiveness really doesn't pop up. It's all about forgiveness. Because of Esau coming to the, the understanding that he had enough to be happy in his life, then he was able to offer forgiveness to Jacob. Now, how important is it for us to learn how to forgive anyone else? We're talking about families. Has anyone ever gotten upset with another person in your family? Have you ever been through that terrible time when family members are not speaking or family members are upset with one another. If you have, you truly understand the blessing of forgiveness. For one thing, forgiveness is the very heart of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is all about God forgiving us. Through Jesus, It is what God has done for us. That's what makes the gospel good news, is that God has said, even though you have done things to offend me, even though you have disobeyed me, I have forgiven you. But it's also the heart of the gospel is because not only is this what God has done for us, it is the thing that God has called us to do. And not just called us to do, he demands 
that we do it. It is the most frequently repeated commandment of God in the New Testament. Forgive one another just as I have forgiven you. In fact, in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses in the same way you see us forgiving others for misusing and trespassing against us. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus taught us to pray, now God, I need your forgiveness, but I'm only asking for as much forgiveness from you as I am willing to give to other people. Jesus even told a parable about it. How silly it is that there was this servant who was forgiven of millions of dollars of debt, and yet he wouldn't forgive a fellow servant of a dollar and a half that he owed him. And and you just read that and you think, that's amazing. And then suddenly we realize that's what's going on with us. That we're expecting God to forgive us of everything. And yet, are we willing to forgive when other people have hurt us? We must learn to do this. God doesn't just call us to that. He demands us to forgive. Let's explore for just a moment what forgiveness is. A few months ago, we did a little five-week five series on forgiveness on Wednesday night. Did it twice with two different groups. And I boiled that down to five minutes now. I may take six or seven. I hope that's okay. I, I kind of got up here a little late. But we're going to boil it down as much as we can because people... Tommy, forgiveness has to live in a family or that family doesn't have much life. And so let's explore what forgiveness is all about just for a moment. First of all, we say forgive and forget, but we'd often just like to try forgetting. Uh, That's what we find easier. Okay, this happened. I'm just going to try to forget that and we'll just go on. And what we're doing really is we're not letting go of the problem. We're letting go of the relationship. So many times we think of forgiveness as I'm not going to be mad at that person anymore, but I'm not really going to speak to them either. <laughs> you know, we're not going to have that good of a relationship anymore. Forgiveness is an attempt to restore relationship and to rebuild relationship. You know, just, just deciding not to be mad and to ignore another person, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is when we decide we're going to try to put things back together and build some kind of relationship. It may not be as good a relationship as we had before. It may not be the same relationship that we had before. But I want to tell you something that really, if you work at it, sometimes forgiveness builds even a stronger bond than you had before. So we have to understand what forgiveness is to begin with. It's not just deciding not to be mad anymore and not thinking about the other person, but it is an attempt to rebuild and restore relationship. How would we like it if God said, okay, I'm going to forgive you, but don't talk to me anymore. (laughs) You know, I'll forgive you, but we're not going to have anything to do with each other anymore. We're going to be kind of uncomfortable around each other. No, God's forgiveness brings righteousness. It brings right relationship. And so we can't fool ourselves into thinking we're forgiving people if we're not willing to do the hard work of restoring and rebuilding a relationship. The divine way to forgiveness is that the forgiver always pays the price of forgiveness. Who paid the price for your sins? Jesus Christ. God did. And yet sometimes we feel like, well, if someone did something to me, If someone said something ugly to me, they need to suffer for that. I shouldn't have to suffer because I'm not the one who messed up. Well, God didn't mess up either. And yet he suffered for your sins. 
And he suffered in order to give you forgiveness. And therefore, the person who has the power to forgive, the person who can start the process of forgiveness, the one who must pay the price for forgiveness. Who paid the price for forgiveness in the story of Jacob and Esau? Esau. And who will pay the price if someone has hurt you? If forgiveness happens, it will be you. You will be the one who's called upon to swallow your pride. You're the one who has to forget how you felt and the pain that was caused and to go ahead and deal with that. And it may not seem like it's fair, but it is the way of God. And God calls us to that same kind of humility. Exploring forgiveness. We often choose not to forgive. We just decide we can't do it because of several reasons. One, the hurt is too deep. We think, I've just been hurt too much by this. I just can't deal with it. Or we are sensed that the person who wronged us doesn't care, you know? Uh, that person doesn't deserve our forgiveness because, after all, they just don't even care about any of this. Well, aren't you glad that, Jesus, that God didn't wait to send Jesus until you cared? You know, what if he had just sat around and waited? Well, I'm going to do this as soon as they shape up and as long, you know, and, and we're going to wait until they deserve my son to die for them. So if we withhold our forgiveness to someone else until they deserve it, then we're really not people who've learned the way of God and forgiveness. It's easier, as we said, to sacrifice the relationship than it is to do the work of forgiveness. It's easier just to avoid the person, not have anything to do with them, and just continue on with life. But we're called to be people of God. We're called upon to be people who will willingly work at forgiving someone else. A couple of other things. Forgiveness can take place in the midst of unjust suffering and pain. I don't have to be completely healed from the wounds before I forgive. You know, time does not heal all wounds. Time can make you bitter and cold. Only God can heal the wounds that you have suffered. And therefore, if you're going to wait until you feel better about things before you decide to start working on forgiveness, then you may just become less and less inclined to do that. And finally, the gift does not have to be received to be a gift because your healing begins as when you offer your imperfect forgiveness. This is about healing yourself as well. And healing begins whenever forgiveness is offered, not necessarily when forgiveness is accepted. Well, those are some things that perhaps maybe set off some alarms or, you know, you can come ball me out afterwards if you want to. I don't, but, you know, I hope that, 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 that that's caused you to kind of think about where you stand in this forgiving business. And maybe you're already thinking about some people in your circle, in your family, that there is tension between and difficulties between and forgiveness needs to come to bear. Well, let's close out today by looking at some dance steps of forgiveness. Now, I wish I could give you, okay, number one, you do this. Number two, you do this. Number three, forgiveness isn't that easy. It's not like check one, two, three, four. But rather, there's several things you can do, and it's more like a dance. You just sort of mix the moves up according to the situation. And you may need to do more of this than that or more of that than this. Or you may need to do this first and then this. But here are some of the things that need to happen if you want to set into motion forgiveness in your family. Number one is you have to become willing to talk about it. Now, not talk about it to everybody else, but talk about it to the person that you have the difficulty with. You have to find the language, you have to find the courage to lovingly sit down and actually talk about what's going on. That can be tough. It is much easier to ignore it. 
It is much easier to only talk about it to people who are not involved. The tough thing is to talk about it to the person that the problem is with. Another thing is you need to do, we need to do, is we need to acknowledge the existence of anger and bitterness. You know, we need to realize that it's okay sometimes for people to be mad at us, and we also need to own the fact that we are angry with them. Too many times, you know, in a situation, we are always the innocent person. Hey, we didn't do anything. You know, they're the, they're, it's their problem, not mine. Well, even if it is their problem, it's your problem. And we have to acknowledge that there really is anger there. And then we have to embrace that. And we have to embrace the fact that our first response is to punch back. That that's just how we're kind of wired. That is always our first response is how to, to get back at someone and cause them to suffer because I am suffering. But we have to fight that. Because we have received the forgiveness of God, we have been put into the forgiveness business. That we become people who forgive. Another dance step is that we summon up the concern for the well-being of the other. We stop demonizing them. Have you ever noticed that someone that, that has upset you, there is nothing good about that person? You don't like the way they dress. You don't like the way they walk. You don't like the way they talk. You know, there's nothing good about them. You can't think, well, if you're going to forgive someone, you need to start realizing that this person, just like you, is a flawed child of God. Someone that has made some mistakes, just like you. And has a lot of good qualities. And it's always good to begin in your own heart identifying those and seeing that person's strengths, not just their weaknesses, as you go to them, as well as recognizing your weaknesses too. Which brings up the next one, I think, is that we recognize and embrace our part in this conflict. Like I said before, so oftentimes it's all what they have done. And if you really want to work on a situation and begin rebuilding a relationship, you've got to live up and own up to the fact that you've contributed to this as well. Even if it's just, if it's just been the way you reacted to it. You know, some things that you said in response, some gossip that you passed around. Something you did has been a part of this problem. And you have to figure out what that is and how you're going to change that and committing to working on that. Not only are you going to go out and change them, you're going to change who you are as well. Well, those are some of the difficult things, and I know this is such a big subject, but it's such an important thing for us to stop and think about at times. Because I guarantee you, so much of the pain that comes to us through family comes because of the lack of forgiveness in that family. And a person being will, unwilling to step forward and do the thing for family members that God has done for them. The result of forgiveness, God does not undo our past. When you ask God to forgive you of the things that you have done wrong, He doesn't go back and erase the past. He doesn't go back and change everything. What you did is a part of who you are. What you learned by doing that is a part of who you are. God doesn't change your past. You know what He does with it? God redeems your past. He changes how that past works in you. He helps you to become a wounded healer, someone that can go out and to help others because you know what they're going through and you know where, what the decisions they made are, are going to lead to because you went down that path yourself. He changes your past to become useful to his purposes. 
And that's what will happen with us when we forgive others as well. That relationships will begin to build back. They may look differently, they may feel differently, but relationship is being built. And what happened between you and me, it's there, it will always be there, but now it serves a different purpose. It serves the purpose of having taught us to grow up and to learn how to love each other like God loves us. And that becomes the bond that holds us together. Wow, I wish we could keep talking. I'm hungry. Y'all hungry? But don't quit thinking about it right now. Because you know what? You must have the forgiveness of God in your life. Without that, you're going nowhere. And if you have not sought that forgiveness from your heart, through your actions, if you haven't ever received his baptism of forgiveness, then that's the beginning place. But also, if in all of this, you've had some names pop into your mind that, you know, I've just let that go, then I ask as a response that you decide that's not good enough and that you're going to follow the steps of your Lord and Savior in becoming someone who forgives. We're going to stand and sing a song, and as we do, some of our leaders of this congregation will be on the perimeters of this room. Later on, some of our elders will be back in our parlor. If you're struggling with the need for forgiveness, if you're struggling with the need to forgive, it's a good place to start to seek their counsel and their prayers. Let's stand and sing.